1208, Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, what I want to know is you and McCure, are you not paying your property taxes out in the Nominee Falls? <laughs> oh, here we go. Well, I, I'm just saying, I had to go. Okay, so I, I ordered something from from Amazon that they had delivered via Federal Express. Um, somebody had to sign for it. Well, the problem is there, there's nobody at my house during the day except my dog who hasn't figured out how to answer the door yet. I mean, she'll bark at the door, but sure. not answer it. So I get these things. They deliver it three times, and there, there's nobody there. So I then get a note saying, okay, final delivery. So I call FedEx, and after some communication issues with the guy on the other end of the phone who barely speaks English but tells me that he can deliver it again on Tuesday. I say, no, no, you, you missed the point. Delivering it to the house where nobody is doesn't solve the problem. You know, if you, It's okay with me if you leave it. I, I trust the neighbor. No, no, it has to have a signature. So I said, okay, well, then where can I go to pick it up? And he directed me to Menominee Falls and the FedEx Center in Menominee yeah, Falls. Yeah. A big, big thing. And, and actually, it was quite interesting to go there and to, to go through the process, because it's really not geared for consumers. You, you go to the guard shack, really, and you stand in the guard shack, and they look at your thing, and they call, and you know, I'm there for about 10 minutes talking with the guys. It was kind of interesting, you know, and they, ultimately they bring it out. Do you know at Federal Express, they um, every employee who leaves has to go through a metal detector? It, it was. It was. I like that. It was real interesting because I, I mean I wasn't there in shift change, but a couple people were leaving while I was standing in the guard shack. Nice guys, and you know they'd go through this metal detector, they'd set it off, and they'd get wanded. And I said, "You do that for everybody?" He said, "Yep." Guy that runs the thing has to go through it. It's just their policy. But in any event, so but driving to the Federal Express thing in Menominee Falls, I, I left from where I live now in Washington County. You know, drove the freeway was fine coming down forty one forty five. I get off on County Line Road, and I guess I'm just curious. In Menominee Falls, are you guys familiar with things called snowplows? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Uh, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I mean, well, okay. Well, you when you left this morning, it was it, crummy, right? It was Come, rough in my neighborhood. Silver Spring was okay, but my neighborhood hadn't been touched yet. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> yeah, County Line Road. It, well, I, I wouldn't say it hadn't been touched because cars had driven through it and made the tracks at nine o'clock. But in any event. I, I was just wondering if you and McCure were kind of like withholding your property taxes and things yeah. like that. You say no. All yeah, right. We play Penny. All right. Good enough. Let me give you some breaking news. Journal Sentinel just has the story. It is, it, it's sort of inside baseball, but it is a very, very big deal. Everybody is familiar with the United States Supreme Court, right? Nine justices. Well, almost as big a deal as the U.S. Supreme Court are the various United States Courts of Appeals. Because all cases that, the way the federal system is set up is you have federal district courts. In Wisconsin, for example, there's two federal districts, the Eastern and Western District of Wisconsin. The Eastern District is roughly the eastern third of the state that has about two-thirds of the state's population. There's a federal courthouse in Milwaukee, and then there's a satellite office in Green Bay. The federal district court for the Western District of Wisconsin is based in, in Madison. Everything that goes on in the federal district court, if somebody loses and doesn't like it, they appeal to the United States Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals have to hear all cases. So all the different cases, if you look where a lot of law is made, it's made at that appellate court level because the United States Supreme Court picks and chooses which cases it gets to hear, and they only hear a a very small number of cases. Most cases that get appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals, to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court says, no, we're not going to take them. But everything goes to the U.S. Court of Appeals, and it's a big deal. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals 
hears all the federal appeals from Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. Now, the makeup of the Court of Appeals is that there are judges who are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. And typically, Wisconsin has two of the judges that sit on the Court of Appeals. Two of them come from Wisconsin, more come from Illinois, more come from Indiana. On the current Court of Appeals, there are a couple vacancies. The judge from Wisconsin is Judge Diane Sykes. Um, the second judge from Wisconsin used to be um, Terry Evans, who was a former district court judge. I used to practice in front of him. Got elevated to the Court of Appeals. He passed away a number of years ago. Very unfortunate. That seat, the Evans seat, on the Court of Appeals has been vacant for seven years. It is the longest vacancy of all the different Court of Appeals spots. Um, Senator Ron Johnson has nominated former Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Mike Brennan to be um, on the Court of Appeals. Brennan is, well, you don't just have to take it from me. The American Bar Association, which tends to be a liberal type of organization, has rated him well qualified to be a judge in the Court of Appeals. That's the highest rating they give. Brennan's been in private practice. He's worked for the government. He's also been a judge. He, I mean, if you want to check off all the different categories of something that someone you would look for in somebody who would be on the Court of Appeals, Mike Brennan has them. All right. So Brennan has been nominated to be on the Court of Appeals. The Senate has this procedure called a blue slip procedure. And what it is meant is historically a senator from a state can block a nomination simply by refusing to return a blue slip. And that is what Tammy Baldwin is doing. This has nothing to do with the qualifications of Mike Brennan. It's that he is a conservative. He was involved with the Federalist Society. And again, nobody other than this kind of the liberal kook groups doesn't think Mike Brennan is is qualified to be a judge. Is he conservative as opposed to liberal? Yes, he is. But he's not a crazy conservative. He's a very, very well-respected jurist, as represented by the fact that the American Bar Association gives him a well-qualified rating. But he is a conservative. Tammy Baldwin, despite the fact that the Republicans control the U.S. Senate and President Trump is a Republican, Baldwin is trying to use this blue slip process to block filling this vacancy. And the truth of the matter is, um, it, if she's allowed to get away with this, this, vacancy, this, this job will probably sit vacant for another three, four years. It's already the longest standing vacancy in all the appellate court levels. Well, the interesting and breaking news is reported by the Journal Sentinel today is it appears that at least members of the Senate have had enough, said enough is enough. And the report is that Mike Brennan, who, again, eminently qualified for this position, um, he is going to be getting a hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee tomorrow. So he's going to get this hearing 9 o'clock in the morning. He will be, I think, unquestionably, his nomination will be passed on with a recommendation that he be confirmed. So then the question is going to be, will the Senate take it up or will they continue to allow Tammy Baldwin to block it? My guess is by giving him the hearing, that signals very clearly that they are not going to allow her to use this blue slip process to stop Brennan from 
getting a confirmation hearing on the floor of the Senate. And if he gets a confirmation hearing on the floor of the Senate, there's no question he will be confirmed. Again, this isn't a guy that has all sorts of baggage. This isn't a guy who doesn't have experience. I mean, he was in the district attorney's office. He was uh, he was uh, in private practice. I mean, again, you just check off the list. He was a circuit judge, very well thought of for a number of the years. He's not a controversial appointee. Tammy Baldwin is blocking him, though, simply because he is a conservative, and she doesn't want conservatives going on to the U.S. Court of Appeals which is why, like I always say, elections matter and Republicans control, at least for the moment, the U.S. Senate and the presidency to try to block Mike Brennan is just plain wrong. He deserves an up or down vote. And it sounds like he's going to get one, Tammy Baldwin notwithstanding. When we come back, three big things. We start off with the debate about immigration. It's not really about dreamers as much is as it is about chain migration. We'll talk about it. Stick around. I'll explain, too. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1220. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jason Kidd is out as the head coach of the Bucks. We're going to be talking about that in the 1 o'clock hour of the show. So who's going to be on the sidelines as the Bucks open a new arena next season? Greg Matzik shares his list of names and takes yours as well. That's at 635 this evening on Sports Central. All right, big story number one. It's not about the Dreamers. It is about chain migration. Now, yesterday... The, the government shutdown ended after three days. A lot of people want to say that the Democrats capitulated and, and gave up demands that you know the government, they were willing to shut the government down over whether or not the, the Dreamers, people under DACA, could stay in the country or not. I, I think that's a little bit of a simplistic sort of analysis. I, I do think that moderate Democrats decided once and for all to kind of stand up to the fringe group of the party and said, look, this isn't good for the country. We understand that the idea behind the resistance, and interestingly, all five of the liberal senators who are lined up to run for president in 2020, they all voted in favor of keeping the government shut down. Um, so it is kind of interesting to me. I think you clearly have some of the quote unquote leaders in the Democratic Party that are pandering to the hard left. But in general, I think most people saw that it wasn't good policy and a losing strategy to close the government down over this immigration issue. So the deal that was cut says, okay, the Senate agrees that they're going to vote on some form of provision as to whether you can keep the dreamers in. Now let's review the bidding here quickly. The dreamers are people who were brought into this country as children by their parents illegally. Their parents came into this country illegally. The kids came in with them. The kids have grown up in this country. And the Dreamers, essentially Obama's policy, says that if you're one of those people, you know, you were brought in, hey, you're three or four years old, you know, you don't know legal from illegal. You come into this country, you grow up in this country, it is the only country you really know that you should be able to stay in this country. And that's the whole idea behind the Dreamers situation. You've been here your whole life, and as long as you don't leave the country, as long as you don't create problems, you can stay. And there's about 800,000 people who are in as Dreamers. That's the one side, and that's what the Democrats want to talk about. The flip side, though, is what Republicans are insisting on as a condition of 
essentially making the, the Obama executive order on the Dreamers as a condition of making that permanent. What they want is they want limits on the whole concept of what something called chain migration, which Democrats call family reunification. But but here's how it works um, for, I don't know, the better part of 50 years. People who come into this country legally or, for example, who would be granted some sort of legal status if the dreamers thing was ever formalized have been able to petition for parents, brothers and sisters, adult sons and daughters all to come to the U.S. All those groups can then bring their own spouses and children And in turn, when they become citizens, they can sponsor their own relatives. And the cycle, you know, ends up continuing and continuing and continuing. Now, this is one of the things that President Trump has kind of singled out um, ever since you had the terrorist attack um, in New York City um, a while back, where the the attack came from legal immigrants who had kind of come into this country after being sponsored by people who had also immigrated to the country. And one of the things that President Trump wants is to end the ability of green card residents or, you know, U.S. citizens who have immigrated to sponsor extended families for visas. And again, that's something that's been going on. Democrats call it family reunification. Republicans, again, call this chain migration. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So this is really going to be where, where this Dreamers debate goes. Should spouses and minor children of people who have come into the U.S., um, still be allowed spouses and minor children of US citizens um still be allowed to enter the country what about parents and adult uh, and adult children uh, and their siblings 4147991620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line i think you have to draw the line somewhere it's one thing to say all right, you're one of these 800,000 people that came into this country. You were brought into this country. Your parents came in illegally. This is the only country you know. All right, that that's fine. It's one thing to say that, but this, whether you want to call it family, uh, family reunification or chain migration, the idea that you come into this country, you get a green card, then you, because you're here legally, have an ability to sponsor other family members including adult siblings, um, and then bring them into the country, and then they can in turn sponsor other people. To me, that's not the way you run an immigration system. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I think is a condition of letting the dreamers stay. You need to put limits on this whole concept of what we call chain migration. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1226. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1228. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. John and Racine, Don and Racine nails it. He says, Jeff, it's a no-brainer. Your spouse and your children, if they are minors, that's it. This whole idea, and I understand some people 
are more offended by the term a chain migration. But this is one of the reasons why I think our immigration policy, legal immigration policy, has gotten so out of control over the years where somebody comes into this country on a green card. Okay, that's fine. They then sponsor their spouse. All right, that that's fine. Or they bring in their children. I don't think most of us would have a problem with that. But then it's the idea of they're going to sponsor their adult brought their, their adult siblings, so they bring them in. They're going to sponsor mom and dad, so mom and dad come in. Then so when, once mom and dad come in and they get their legal status, then mom and dad turn around and they sponsor you know, other people as well, and you have this ongoing chain. I think most people rationally understand that immigration policy shouldn't be based on family relationships, but rather it should be based, I think, largely on the ability of people to contribute positively to this country you know and that's the the difference as opposed to simply well one person gets in so everybody that's associated or related gets in and i don't think that really sounds like the ugly american it just sounds like a rational basis to develop an immigration policy and that's really the key with this dreamer debate and that's going to be lost i think with some in the mainstream media i don't think a lot of people object to the people who came into this country were brought in as children being able to stay but the question question then becomes, should they be able to bring in all their extended family members? Where do you draw the line? Big story number two is coming up. David Clark, actually the taxpayers of the U.S. government, the taxpayers of Milwaukee County, actually win in court yesterday. Was it the right verdict? Stick around. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but I... I Sometimes I just can't believe some of the stuff that, that goes on. It, you know, the ongoing debate is that after they got rid of the Government Accountability Board because it was a, a flawed, biased, partisan-run organization, um, the, the responsibilities of the old Government Accountability Board were split into an Ethics Commission and an Elections Commission. The directors of the Ethics Commission and the Elections Commission were lawyers who worked at least for a period of time for the old government accountability board the brian bell who is the director of the ethics commission um i i take no position on whether or not he should be officially confirmed he's a guy though who at least acknowledged that the government accountability board john doe investigation was essentially a witch hunt he says he he's the one that came out with a statement saying it was an incredibly partisan atmosphere he was unhappy um he one of the reasons he left is he couldn't believe some of the stuff that was going on some of the things that were being said and the tenor and tone of what went on so he said he, he left so that to me puts him in at least a little bit different category than mike haas who is the director of the interim director of the State Elections Commission. I'll get to that in, in just a second. Um, Haas was a lawyer who, while not directly responsible for the John Doe investigation, did review briefs and things like that. He sat within 10 feet of me on, on Thursday, and we were doing an interview, and, you know, it's available. It's about a 25-minute interview, and, and you know, we, we had a, I think an interesting exchange back and forth, and I tried to let him make his points, and I tried to press him. What troubled me, and the reason I said on Friday that I would vote against Haas's appointment, is he refuses to acknowledge 
that there was any partisanship, that there was really other than, well, maybe hindsight is twenty twenty, and maybe we should have taken a different strategy here or there. He refuses to acknowledge any sort of partisanship, any sort of you know out of control stuff at the Government Accountability Board, and I think that is really uncontrovertible. And I guess what gives me pause is if you refuse to acknowledge that you know what went on was wrong and out of control. Right. How does that mean that in your new position as head of the Elections Commission, the director, that 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 same sort of environment won't exist if you don't realize that it existed in the first place? So that's why I would have voted against him. All right. That whether he gets confirmed or not, I don't know. But there, there is this is the news report. And, and Eric, you know, Bill Stat was just talking about it. And here's the news report out of out of Madison. Elections Commission Administrator Michael Haas is disputing that Republican Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald told him his job would be interim only. Fitzgerald said during Senate debate Tuesday that he told both Haas and Ethics Commissioner Administrator Brian Bell when they were first hired that they shouldn't count on holding their jobs permanently. Fitzgerald says he thought they would have both resigned and moved on by now. Haas says on Twitter that Fitzgerald never told him his appointment would be interim or short term. Bell was watching the debate from the Senate gallery, the, the group, the Republican called Senate expected vote. Now, I, I, the reason I stop is because before we started the interview, I specifically turned to Mr. Haas and I said, what is your official title? Because I want to get it right. I, I said, are, are you the Elections Commission administrator or director? And he stopped me. And he said, no, I, I'm, I'm the, actually the title is interim, interim elections commission administrator or whatever. And I'm pretty sure that that's on the different interviews that we did. But he's the one that said interim. Now, I mean, I don't know whether he was told that by Senator Fitzgerald or not, but it's very clear that, that he knew that his title was, was interim. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't understand if you're walking around with a title that says interim, how you could think that you had permanently received the job. But again, the significance, I don't know, other than the fact that he himself told me that the job, the title was interim that he had. So if that's your job title to say that, well, I didn't know that this was interim and I thought this would be permanent, how you can even imply that is just beyond me. Just saying. Okay. Um, Big story number two. David Clark... And actually, the taxpayers of Milwaukee County dodge a bullet. Yesterday was a, a very, very quick federal trial. But they, they picked the jury in the morning, had the trial, and then the jury came back with a verdict yesterday evening after a couple hours of deliberation. The Here was the, the, the issue and the circumstance. It, it goes back to January of last year. David Clark, then the Milwaukee County Sheriff, he's on the plane coming from Dallas to Milwaukee. He's wearing Dallas Cowboy attire for whatever reasons. Guy walks by him, kind of looks at him, I think probably with a degree of disdain, says, are you Sheriff Clark? He says, yeah. Guy just kind of like shakes his head, walks away. All right. Um, Sheriff Clark takes that personally. He calls ahead. And has the guy, when he gets off the plane, sheriff's deputies are there, and they ask him a series of questions. He isn't arrested or anything like that, but he's asked a series of, of questions uh, about this, and then he's ultimately you know, released. So he's not arrested or anything like that. Guy then goes public with this story, to which Sheriff Clark responds with a couple Facebook postings, again, essentially calling the guy a snowflake, etc., and saying, if, if you were really harassed by, you know, Sheriff Clark, you wouldn't be around to talk about it, etc. All right, 
The guy files a civil rights complaint. Most of the allegations get dismissed. Um, federal judge finds that, no, he wasn't in, under arrest. He wasn't taken to custody. He wasn't detained over this. But the one issue that goes to trial is the question of whether or not um, Clark's postings on the Facebook page, cheer up Snowflake, if Sheriff Clark were really to harass you, we would you wouldn't be around to whine about it, whether or that that deprived him of his First Amendment rights. Um, did, did that unfairly chill his right to free speech? So that's what the only issue was that the jury decided and the jury came back and found, you know, no, that this was essentially, again, an Internet spat between the two. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I think about all this. I think what Sheriff Clark did in connection with this was sort of childish. I think it was kind of punching down, as it were, and I think he should have let it go. At the same time, I the, the idea that this guy calls out Clark and then Clark responds in the fashion that he did, to me, that's not chilling anybody's First Amendment rights. That's, hey, you know, you get into a public you-know-whatting match, you know, with an aggressive political figure. Your rights aren't chilled. As a matter of fact, I think that's the argument that the, you know, defense made was, hey, hey look, you know, far from far from chilling this guy's First Amendment rights, he just became emboldened by this. And, you know, he just responded, you know, and I think this is the right thing. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this guy who sued Clark was entitled to one dime. And I think the jury got it right. That is not to say that I think Sheriff Clark handled this appropriately. It's not to say that I think Sheriff Clark handled this in a matter befitting, you know, an elected official. But not every conflict between somebody and an elected official results in a violation of someone's constitutional rights. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And quite candidly, the guy that got into it with Sheriff Clark, he got his 15 minutes of fame. That's great. He got his attention. I'm sure he's a hero in some circles, but I don't think he deserved a dime. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1244. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Not not everything is a federal case. And I am very, very glad that a federal jury in Milwaukee yesterday recognized this. You can argue that especially the last couple of years, certain decisions made by former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark were, were nothing short of, of a train wreck. And this entire interaction that he had with the guy on the airplane coming back from the flight in Dallas, I, I think, well, I don't think it spoke well for, for anybody. But the fact of the matter is the guy goes public and says Clark did this, Clark did that. Clark then responds, as he typically does, by, again, going on this Facebook page and saying, hey, Snowflake, you know, essentially get a life or, or whatever. All right, that that's the, the interaction that you have. Was it... 
an immature act? Was it juvenile? Yeah, it it was. Should you have just let it go? Yes. But this idea that, oh, my gosh, I was just, I called out David Clark, and now, you know, he retaliated. He said stuff about me. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, that's what ends up happening. The man made the decision that he was going to go public with his story. He got his 15 minutes of fame. He was all over TV. He was embraced by the people who don't like David Clark. Well, all right. David Clark responded, and I'm sure the guy did get some heat from the people who like David Clark. But you know what? That's what happens in our society when you decide to, again, get involved in a public dispute. Um, some people are going to embrace you and love you, and some people aren't. But um, he exercised, he being the man on the plane, exercised his First Amendment rights to speech by criticizing Clark in the fashion that he did. I saw him yesterday on TV after the verdict saying, hey, you know, Clark's not here anymore, and that's victory enough or whatever. Okay, he gets to take his shots at David Clark. I appreciate that. But at the same time, Clark gets to respond, and people get to decide whether or not it's juvenile or immature or whatever. But the bottom line is... It's not a constitutional violation, and we criticize jury verdicts all the time. This is one that the jury got absolutely right, at least in my opinion, and they got it right in a very short period of time. All right, big story number three. The controversy over the national anthem continues. Here's the story. There's a group called AMVETS, which is, again, a a group that you know made up of, of veterans. What they wanted to do is the NFL Super Bowl program, you know, the program that you buy at the Super Bowl that has, you know, the names of the players and the background of the Super Bowl and things like that. Um, they wanted to buy an ad, buy an ad in the Super Bowl program. The ad would have cost $30,000. The way this works is the league doesn't sell advertising to the game program, but what they do is there's a third-party publisher that sells it, but then the league has the right of, of approval. So AmVets, you know, wants to do a um, wants to do an ad. They want to take out a, a full page ad, and the ad says, "Please stand." That that's that's the message. That, you know, please stand, and the NFL says, "Well." The Super Bowl program is designed for fans to commemorate and celebrate the game, players, teams, and the Super Bowl. It's never been a place for advertising that could be considered by some as a political statement. And so, no, we're going to turn it down. I'm looking at a copy of the ad now. It's got a person, a guy, a veteran, somebody in uniform, holding an American flag. Hashtag, please stand. The NFL said, nope, we're not going to allow this in. The executive director of AMVET said, look, the players who protest by kneeling during the national anthem are exercising their free speech, and AMVETs only wanted to do the same. The protests are very much out of our purview. We're not looking to comment on those. This is part of our American program in which the organization conducts seminars in schools and with youth groups on the proper way to display care and respect the flag. The NFL says, nope, we don't want the ad. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Could the NFL continue to get this issue any more more wrong? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think they should have been able to put this ad in the program. What do you think? We're back to discuss next. It's 1253. 
1256, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, David in Mequon. David, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Um, You know, I think it's absolutely appalling that the NFL is doing this because, A, it's a slap in the face and veterans all around this country. They're not demanding anyone to to stand there saying they're giving you the reason why people should stand. Yeah. And it's a slap in the face to, I think, most fans that want to have their position to hear the position. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a horrible uh, scenario where the NFL now has successfully weaponized uh, for standing for the flag, which I think is just Well, right. And and also, David, keep in mind that NBC that is covering this has already announced that if any of the players choose to kneel, they will put the cameras on them. Now, I I don't know if any will. I kind of doubt it. But NBC has already said we're going to represent this other side. If anybody chooses to kneel, we will focus on them and our announcers will tell why they're kneeling, which will be good because who knows why they're kneeling exactly. But if you've got the veterans that want to pay to present a different school of thought the nfl doesn't want to hear it i can't believe how wrong they've gotten this david and continue to get it wrong well and we always talk about treating our vets with more respect and trying to help them out and what does the nfl do they just slapped all of them down i mean that's at the end of the day it's disgraceful and it's 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 unfortunate but it's it's a it's the sign of the times. I guess. To. Yeah, thanks for calling. Mike and Finalex sends me a text. Jeff, I can't believe that the NFL got it wrong again or still. Bottom line is this is going to become another media issue and draw more attention to the controversy. Had they just honored the AMVET's desire to place the ad and approve it. And by the way, apparently they, they have done similar sort of ads in programs for all-star games for the NHL and the NBA. But anyways, Mike continues, um, had they just honored the desire to prove, approve this, it would probably have gone unnoticed by the vast, vast majority. By choosing uh, to do what they did, um, they have created the controversy. Um, Yeah, Greg and Appleton texts, the NFL chose to get political when they allowed these players to kneel. How convenient that they now don't want to enter the political fray. I- exactly. Um, you know, this, this is the, the creation, for goodness sakes. The group wanted to spend $30,000. They wanted to put up the, again, please stand. The NFL, which doesn't want to get political now, well, they just don't like, I think, the fact that they're getting a lot of heat from their insane decision. This has been a bad year for the NFL all around. And I understand they renewed Paul Tagliabue's uh, contract, and he's going to make a whole uh, – uh, Tagliabue, uh, Goodell's contract, and he's going to make a whole bunch of money. But at the same time, if this is the kind of judgment you get – Man, I mean, what's going on in the NFL? It is 12.59. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, Jason Kidd is out as a coach. And why are people eating Tide Pods? Stick around. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, when you were a kid, did you ever play with lawn darts and jarts? Or, oh, or yeah. With, oh, okay. So they were, yeah. those were still around when you were I a kid. I caught the, just the very end of that phenomenon. Right. Yeah. right. But, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Now, Gru, you're, are you, you are, you are younger than, than both of us. Do you, are you familiar with like, when I say jarts or lawn darts, do you know what I mean? You, you do, the things that you threw. Now, when you were growing up, were, did you have them? Were you allowed to play with them? Your great, 
<laughs> way, nice. to make, way, way to make us feel old. His grandparents had them at a cabin. So, you know, okay, but for people who are of a certain generation before the Consumer Product Safety Commission got involved, this is like, it's like horseshoes, kind of, except instead of throwing horseshoes, they were, they were lawn darts. I mean, big old... You know, big old things with points on them that you, you know, and, and like little plastic tipped wings, and you would throw them. And the oh, idea I was, remember them being metal, though. I don't remember them being plastic. Well, the wings, oh, the, oh, the, the, wings, the, were the wings were plastic. Oh, right. No, the things were metal, right. And you'd, you'd set up uh, like a little round, a little like plastic circle, it's like a horseshoe bring, and the idea would be that you're trying to throw the things into them, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. You grew up playing them, and you somehow survived, right? I did. You're you right. did. Okay, good. Eric Bilstead is still to speak of it. <laughs> I grew up playing them. Matter of fact, now if you talk to my younger brother, he will tell you I'm his significantly older brother. But if you talk to Scott, I'm sure he would tell you that it might be a miracle that he survived because I, I admit, you know, we there would be times when we might chuck them more at each other than chuck them at the ring. I, I get that kind of stuff, but that's but somehow we survived. And generations of people survived playing lawn darts. How were we able to do that? Now, you can't find lawn darts anymore because the Consumer Product Safety Commission, you know, came in and said, oh, this is just too terribly dangerous because you have these people who are too stupid, essentially, to know what to do and to know that, you know, these things are like throwing knives at each other. And so we, we shouldn't allow this to be sold. OK, so that's that that's where that came in. There is a modern day equivalent to lawn darts going on right now. And my question is going to be, can you fix stupid? Um, Tide Pods. Drew, you know what a Tide Pod is? Okay. Tide Pods are, it's laundry detergent. All right. You know, they, they, what you do is you take a Tide Pod and Tide Pods are, are brightly colored and you chuck them into the washing machine and you turn on the washing machine. It's soap, but it's, it's not just soap. It is whatever stuff you put in detergent in addition to soap to kind of make stuff, um, you know, clean. All right, but they're they're brightly colored, and what what's happened now is there's a a trend that is going on of teenagers eating Tide Pods. Now the the history of this, you might say. Why would anybody think this is a good idea? And, and that's a fair question. Um, but the history of this, and I spent more time in, than I wanted trying to figure this out, but it, it goes back late 2015. The Onion published a satirical commentary. This is fake. A commentary from a child's perspective in which the kid vowed to eat a Tide Pod. From the very second I saw those blue and red detergent ponds come out of the shopping bag last week, I knew immediately that come hell or high water, I would eat one of those things. Then last March, there was a comedy website called College Humor, which posted a video sketch in which a man agonized over his desire to eat the pods which he compared to Gushers, which is a fruit snack with a liquid center and chewy outer covering. So, I mean, and then there's all these different things on the Internet now where they show things like pizzas, except, you know, instead of pepperoni, they've got Tide Pods on them and stuff. So it's kind of become, you know, a, a, a joke about this, except it's really no joke anymore because you have a lot of people who are, taking videos of themselves, teenagers primarily, and posting them on the Internet, showing them either eating Tide Pods 
or pretending to eat the Tide Pods. And the way this works, it's kind of like this game that people play where you bite into the thing and you either spit it out or you actually ingest it, neither one of which is very good because did I mention um, it's not just like biting into a bar of soap. There's all sorts of stuff in there, a lot of which is not good for you. To emphasize, you know, what the concerns are, here's the deal. Um, since the start of the year, since the start of the year, so we're talking three weeks ago, essentially, poison control centers across the country have reported 40 cases of people aged 13 to 19 years old intentionally ingesting laundry pods. Wow. The group reported 53 such cases last year and 39 cases in 2016. And of course, you know, once you do this, you're supposed to call the poison control thing because it's really, really bad stuff that can happen. It has gotten so bad that Tide is now under pressure to come out with statements. And of course, on Monday, the ex- chief executive of Procter & Gamble, and they're the ones that make Tide, he, he was required and came out outlining steps the company is taking to keep teens from eating Tide laundry pods for sport. All right, and so now Tide is putting out public service announcements saying don't eat the laundry pods. 414, yes, you heard me right. Tide is putting out public service announcements telling people don't eat the laundry pods. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this Tide's problem? Because Tide is starting to get some heat over its product, which is being misused. And so now they're kind of responding to some of the criticism they're getting. You know, people are saying, well, they're attractive. You know, they're bite-sized. You know, um, how are people supposed to know that you can't eat laundry detergent? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I lump this into the category of you can't fix stupid. And if you are eating laundry detergent, whether it's brightly colored or not, you are stupid, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends some people. Is this Tide's responsibility? Should Tide be required or expected to do more to stop people ages 13 through 19? Again, we're not talking about a kid who's crawling around and, you know, a, an infant who somehow gets access to the, the pod, and because kids stick everything in their mouth, you know what ends up happening. Okay, so this isn't what that is. This is kids who think it's clever and funny to eat the Tide Pods. Is it Tide's responsibility to stop this trend? Are they at fault because this is happening? Let's start with Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're first. Hello. Yeah, this is no different than like those people that like to eat cleanser and, and weird things. I say if they want to eat Tide Pods, let them eat them and let natural selection take its course. This is kind of the Darwin theory, huh? You know, it's a natural selection. It's going to, I mean, I, what what is Tide supposed to say? I feel so sorry for the, the chief executive here. What's he supposed to come out and say? Don't eat laundry detergent? I mean, <laughs> really, don't, don't eat laundry detergent. Oh, yeah, we also make bleach. Don't drink bleach. Bad things are going to happen. It's, it's amazing how stupid some people are. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Yeah, don't 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 eat laundry detergent. That's essentially what they're doing. They're coming out with public service announcements saying um, this is a dangerous trend. You know, I it's, look, 
you can put all the labels and warnings on you want. Uh, what are you supposed to do? Put a warning on a box of on a on, on a thing a Tide Pod saying this is not for consumption. You know, don't eat the Tide Pod. I mean, for goodness sakes, don't drink the bleach. Um, hey, you know, we've got the Windex. Don't drink the Windex. At some point in time. Don't we have to say it becomes a matter of individual responsibility? And I guess if Tide wants to discourage people from doing this, this is fine. But again, I go back to the basic premise, which is you you just flat can't fix stupid. And if you decide that you are going to chow down, well, that's stupid. Uh, I got a text here. I see a lawsuit. Well, that is obviously what they are concerned about, that somebody's going to turn around and um, sue them, you know, alleging that, hey, you didn't have labeling, they got caught up in this trend, and, and look, and now give us money. Obviously, I think there is some concern for litigation, but at the same time, all right, it's laundry detergent. It's not a snack cracker. Move on. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once a year, Governor Scott Walker goes before the state legislature to give his state of the state address. What can we expect to hear? Gene Miller has a preview. 7.21 a.m. tomorrow. Be sure to tune in to Wisconsin's Morning News. Coming up in about ah, 15 minutes or so, an openly gay Olympian has a beef with Vice President Mike Pence heading up the Olympic delegation Does the guy have a point? We will discuss. Breaking news yesterday afternoon, I think surprised a lot of people, was that uh, Milwaukee Bucks head coach Jason Kidd was relieved of his duties. It it, it was a surprise to some people because um, the the Bucks are, are still in the playoff race. They made the playoffs last year. And I think more importantly, uh, Jason Kidd was, was viewed as a buddy of one or more of the, the owners of the team, you know, who are all like billionaires from New York. And, you know, Jason Kidd is a millionaire from, you know, New Jersey, New York. And so they were viewed as friends. Nevertheless, what happened is yesterday, I think the Bucks decided that, you know, we're, we're going to move on. And, and they fired Jason Kidd. Surprised a lot of people. But but they did. The the essence of it was essentially that the Bucks decided that I think that they had to move on. First, because this is an important year for the Bucks. You've got the new arena that is opening up next year. And so you, you sell tickets based on the year before. You know, if you have an awful year, well, it's tough to convince people to, to buy tickets next year. I think after making the playoffs, having an improvement last season, I think a lot of people expect the Bucks expected the Bucks to take that that next step. What were they forty two and forty um, last year? This year, their, their record is not better. I mean, they're they're essentially they've been a five hundred team. They're hanging on to the final position in the the playoffs, but they they've lost going into last night's game. I think which they won, but up into last night's game, they had lost seven out of eleven, and the team seemed to be pretty much treading water. And that was treading water with um, what everybody agrees is one of the five best players in the NBA. And I think the Bucks owners decided, well, it was the time we needed to do something dramatic. We needed to make a major change. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Just one segment, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the reality is the Bucks, I, I don't think, occupy um, – 
the sports psyche around here like the Packers and the Brewers do. But still, there's a lot of us who are Bucks fans, you know, no question about it, and you want to see the team succeed, or you're a fan of NBA basketball in general. Here's my question. Did the Bucks do the right thing in getting rid of Jason Kidd? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They dumped him. Should they have let him finish out the year? Will they do better with an interim coach? Was this a move made in desperation? Was it unfair to Kidd? Did he not have enough time? Apparently, he was pretty well liked by the players to the point that Giannis apparently had called him up once he heard the reports that Kidd was going to be fired and said, hey, do you want me to go to bat for you? Do you want me to call the owners? All right, did the Bucks jump the gun in firing Jason Kidd? I will come down. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 124. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. The Bucks decide to release Jason Kidd. Now, you're not going to have to worry too much about Jason Kidd because he signed a contract extension, what, a year or so ago. So his contract still has a while to run, which means... You know, he can sit on the sidelines and still collect paychecks. So it's not exactly like you have to worry about, you know, do we have to have a yard sale for him or something? But nonetheless, the question is, did the Bucks panic? Did they get rid of Jason Kidd too soon? Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I think they did, Jeff, get rid of him too soon. I thought if they were going to get rid of him right now, they'd have another name in mind instead of using Joe, who's just a protege of Kidd anyway, so... What do you think? Now, obviously, the team is, I think most of us would agree, agree it's underperforming this year. Um, do, do you just, what if the concern was, hey, it's going to continue to do that, and they might not even make the playoffs with that new arena coming next year? How do you sell tickets? But, but do you think, Jeff, under the, the assistant Joe, they're going to do any better than they would have with kids, though? Right. So, well, that's the interesting thing, Dave. I mean, that that... That becomes the question. Actually, I think I think you're on to something, and I think that's the reason why they got rid of him. Here, here is my thinking of this. First of all, I think the concept, the consent was, look, and I'm not a basketball coach. I, I, all I do is I'm a fan. I watch the games as well. But, you know, I've been seeing that the Bucks have been playing the same way for years. I, I mean, their defense is awful. Sometimes they move the ball. Sometimes they don't. They just haven't learned to guard or haven't been schooled or refused to, you know, guard the three-point shots and things like that. And it's what's ended up stopping them from moving up the, the ladder. Here's what I think ownership figures. They've gone as far as they can go with Jason Kidd. So you bring in the protege of Kidd. You know, maybe they'll do okay. Maybe he'll win some games. Maybe they'll, you know, end up making the playoffs. Maybe they'll go on a hot streak. Maybe this guy's a better coach than Kidd was and can get – these players to perform in a way that kid couldn't, then at least you have a consideration. Do you want to keep him around permanently? Um, if they do really, really well, make up, make the playoffs and maybe go a little ways in the playoffs, or maybe there's an argument for keeping him. But then what happens is, let's say they don't. Let's say they continue to flounder. Let's say they miss the playoffs or have the eighth seed and get killed by whoever the number one seed is. Well, then what you do is you bounce him, and you go out and you bring in that big-name coach that can, again, generate some excitement during the summer and maybe help sell the tickets. I mean, I, I think it's all tied in, I think, to the new arena. 
a desire that the owners of the Bucks have to win, and I think a concern, both practical and otherwise, that maybe they've gone as far as they possibly can. It's not like Jason Kidd didn't get many, many chances. I think if you look back, this decision makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying Jason Kidd, by the way, was a bad coach. I don't know enough to to make that conclusion. I, I do think that for whatever reason, he couldn't get the players to respond to him. Maybe he was teaching them, hey, you got to cover the guy that's open for the three-pointer in the corner, or you've got to pass the ball, and they were refusing to do it. I mean, that might have well been the case, and, and maybe the players weren't, again, doing what he told them to do. But regardless, I mean, you have a team that is treading water, and a lot of us think the team should be doing better than that. And more importantly, the general manager and the owners think that the team should be doing better than that. You can't get rid of the whole team, so the coach goes. Don't too feel too sorry for Jason Kidd, though. Like I say, he's still got a couple years left on his contract. He will be just fine. When we come back, I want to talk about this gay Olympian. Gay Olympian who is calling out the vice president. Stick around. It's an interesting conversation. One thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Government uncertainty in Washington could be dangerous for Wisconsin's military families. John McCure and Melissa Barkley share one local veteran's perspective at four thirty-four today on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Wow. Okay, that was probably wasn't nice to do to Belinda, but we're friends. All right. All right. I hope you were sitting down, Gru. I didn't even share this with you. I hope you know. I hope you're sitting down for this. Journal Sentinel reported JS Online, Bill Glover, Clements. You know, the racing sausages? Clements out as sponsor of Milwaukee Brewers' famous racing sausages. Wow, yeah, holy you-know-what, yeah. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. The fan favorite, famous racing sausages, will have to sprint on at Miller Park without Clements. So apparently the racing sausages... um, that's different than Clements sponsors them, but Clements doesn't own, I guess, the rights to the racing sausages. The 25-year sponsorship link is being broken heading into the new season. Clements Sausage Company Chief Executive Officer said in a letter to the employees today, Alas, all good things come to an end, and the brewers have decided to discontinue our partnership with them, he says. Brat, Polish, Italian, Hot Dog, and Chorizo will still be racing around the perimeter of Miller Park come April, but they'll no longer wear the Clements label. This spring, this is the Clements executive saying, this spring we entered into our regular contract negotiations with the Brewers, just as we've done many times over the past 25-plus years. We intended to extend and continue our partnership with the Brewers, and more importantly, the Brewers' family of fans. Unfortunately, again, this is the statement coming from Clements, The Brewers abruptly and without explanation cut off our negotiations. To our surprise, weeks later, the Brewers informed us that they signed with another undisclosed company and we would not have the opportunity to match the deal or negotiate. Um, They called the action surprising and disappointing development, but added what has been the best for the last 25 years remains true today, our brand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We do good stuff. Um, They're looking for other community partners, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the racing sausages will continue, but they will not... They will not be Clements, and there's going to be like another sponsor that, that's out there, huh. which which then now this leads to the speculation. Okay, if it's not the Clements Racing Sausages, let's see the Lakefront Brewery Racing Sausages, the Northwestern Mutual Insurance Racing Sausages, 
the Frederick racing sausages. I mean, the Aurora racing sausages. Maybe, you know, I mean, you, you could tie in a lot of sort of stuff there. You know, sausages and I don't know health concerns or things like that. It's just, it's just, you know, it's Miller Park, so Miller probably wouldn't have the Miller racing sausages. But you know, the Miller, they, the racing sausages will be back. They're just not going to be the Clements racing sausages anymore. The pick and save racing. You, the, the mind reels at the different sponsorship opportunities that could be out there, but um, they're not going to be the Clements racing sausages anymore. And Clements doesn't sound any too happy about it, but the, regardless, that's what happens. It is business. All right. Um, Adam Rippon. You know who Adam Rippon is, Grill? You do not. All right. Um, he's He's a figure skating he's the 2016 u.s men's figure skating champion which is why you didn't know who he was he's also believed to be the first openly gay u.s winter olympian so that this is there's no secret he is openly he is openly gay male figure skater um and he's on he's on the olympics he got a lot of attention the other day when he criticized the White House's selection of Vice President Mike Pence to lead the 2018 U.S. delegation to South Korea. Um, apparently, he did an interview with USA Today. See, it says, you mean Mike Pence, that same Mike Pence that funded gay conversion therapy? I'm not buying it. Okay, well, um, he then says, um, if this was before my event, and they, you know, they do a, a meet and greet, he said he would prefer not to meet Pence during the traditional meet-and-greet between the official delegation and the U.S. athletes in the hours leading to the open ceremony. Um, It's possible that he wouldn't be there because he's part of the team figure skating competition. But in any event, he says, if it were before my event, I would would absolutely not go out of my way to meet somebody who I had felt had gone out of their way to not only show that they aren't a friend of a gay person, but that they think they're sick. I wouldn't go out of my way to meet somebody like that. Um, I don't think he has a real concept of reality to stand by some of the things that Donald Trump has said. And for Mike Pence to say he's a devout Christian man is completely contradictory. If he's OK with what's being said about people and Americans and foreigners and about different countries that are being called blank holes, I think he should really go to church. Now, this this gay conversion therapy thing is completely bogus that that comes from. A statement that Pence made in a congressional campaign website saying resources should be directed towards those institutions who provide assistance to those seeking to change their sexual behavior. It had nothing to do with, with gay conversion therapy. And a matter of fact, for the last, you know, 16 years, Vice President Pence has said, no, I, I don't support gay conversion therapy. But the, the story is you've got this Olympian who's now saying, well, I don't think the vice president should be in charge of this delegation, and I I don't have any desire to meet him, and I don't intend to go. I probably wouldn't go, even if I didn't have an event scheduled. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It is one thing for athletes after you win the Super Bowl or after you you know win the World Series or the NBA playoffs, if they decide we don't want to go to the White House, it's one thing for that. But when you have when you are a member of the US Olympic team, do you think you should have an obligation to go meet the delegation and meet the people that are heading it and at least you know show up 
when the vice president of the United States is there heading the delegation. Does this guy have a legitimate beef? Gee, I don't like him. I don't think Pence likes gay people, blah de blah blah de blah Or is this just another one of these examples of, you know, somebody who is looking to be offended and who is going too far? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My advice would be show up and shut up. But what do you think? 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We discuss next. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in. Um, Adam Rippon, who is the 2016 U.S. men's figure skating champion, who is going to be going to the Olympics. He came up fourth in the nationals, but they, they picked him to go on the team. He is also the first, and I use the phrase openly gay, um, uh, Olympian, at least the openly gay figure skater. Um, he's, he's giving interviews. He calls up USA Today and he says essentially he is ashamed that Vice President Mike Pence has been assigned to lead the, the delegation. He wants nothing to do with him. He repeats and he repeats the story that falsely claims that uh, Vice President Pence is in favor of gay conversion therapy, but that, that's neither here nor there. But he's just appalled, doesn't like Pence, and he says, I don't want anything to do with him. 414-799-1620. I start off this conversation by reminding everybody of Wagner's rule of life, number one. You know, life is tough, get a helmet. And my con- my comment to Adam Rippon would be, you know, get a helmet, pal. I mean, you are there representing the United States. Like it or not, President Trump is the president of the United States and Vice President Pence is the Vice President of the United States. They are the leaders of your country. And just grow up. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Roy in Watertown. Roy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, sir. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I think he's a self-centered person and kind of like a narcissist. Narcissist, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. I really do. It's all about me, right? It's it, this, this whole thing, it, it's... It is just about me. I don't think my, I've never met Mike Pence, but I don't think he likes me. And so, you know, I'm going to stand up and here I'm, I'm not going to participate with him. Who is this kid? Seriously. Really? I, I, I don't know. He should be thankful. He, he's got an opportunity to play in the Olympics. Well, well really. ex- exactly. And thanks for calling. And if he does well, I mean, let, let's face it, if he does well, if he's able to win a medal, he's going to cash in big time. He's going to make a lot of dough. And those are opportunities that are being presented to him because he is a figure skater for the United States. Let's go to our text line. Um, I don't care if you like him or hate him. It still should be an honor to meet the vice president of the United States of America. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Sam says, so one guy picks the representative based on his sexual orientation. Right. That, that's, that's the, that's the issue that's here. Look, here's the bottom line. And this is what's frustrating when you have people that decide to mix politics and, and sport. It, it's this notion that, all right, I know better than you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the forum that is provided to me to make the political statement. This, to me, is the equivalent of the NFL players kneeling. Look, he he's there to compete as an ice skater. He is there to represent his country. You wonder whether or not this character is going to try to stage any sort of protests or not, should he win. At the same time, I, I don't know, like I say, he came in fourth on the U.S. national team, so I'm not sure he's necessarily going to be anywhere near the podium. But the bottom line is he is representing his country. 
and going off and giving these sort of gratuitous interviews where he uses the forum and the vehicle that he has gotten by virtue of being an ice skater to diss the President of the United States or the Vice President of the United States, again, is one of these things that just makes my head want to explode. I have been fortunate in my life to have met most of most of the presidents going back to um well, let's see I actually met Richard Nixon once too but he wasn't in office at the time but I mean I I've I've met most of the presidents you know since um since Jimmy Carter didn't meet I've never met president Carter but you know agree with them or disagree with them republican or democrat you know it doesn't matter it's an honor it's just an honor to have an opportunity to meet the president of the United States um, and, and I think anybody who doesn't appreciate that really has some lessons in maturity. And I think I see this kind of story, and what I see is maybe a guy that's going to be set out and he wants to be like a hero for you know certain groups, but at the same time he makes himself a polarizing figure. And to me it's a sign of a lack of maturity to say things like this. Just saying. All right, coming up next. Did the Democrats really lose their nerve in what happened yesterday, or was it a smart move? You might be surprised by my take. Stick around. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 154. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I was, um, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I, that there, there are, I think when you come to dealing with President Trump, you, you have to separate style from substance. I, I say this all the time, and I think a, a lot of times the style, the late-night tweets, the punching down, the thin-skinned stuff, you know, gets in the way sometimes of, of the substance of, of policies. And we, we don't have policy decisions because, you know, the president says and does out these outrageous things. And then, of course, you've got the media that's out to get him, and yes, they are, and, and they then jump on whatever the tweet of the day is and things like that. I was disappointed in a Trump in a tweet that President Trump sent out, um, taking credit for ending the government shutdown, and talking about how the the Democrats lost. Now, I, I think it might be true that that the Democrats lost in this government, in, in, and I don't know that it's a cave in. Here's what happened to end the government shutdown, and sometimes you gotta. I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. What you have to do is you have to learn. Sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. Being responsible for the shutdown of the government over an unrelated issue never, ever, ever works out well. It simply doesn't. That's the lesson when Newt Gingrich shut down the government in 1995 or whatever, and it's been the lesson since then. What happened here is you had a bunch of uh, the, the resistance wing, the far left wing of the Democratic Party, decided that they didn't they didn't want to give the Republicans in general and Donald Trump any sort of victory. So the idea was we will do anything simply to be against something that the president would sign, and that's why you had the five senators who are most often talked about as planning to run for president in 2020, they were the ones that they, they all voted against, you know, ending the government shutdown. 
On the other hand, you had a bunch of moderate senators, moderate Democrats, who just said, hey, we're not going to let this party get hijacked because they were looking at the way this was playing out. And they were understanding, hey, the American people, you know, don't want to have these, you know, their their replacement social security cards delayed. They don't want to have federal employees laid off over an immigration issue that has nothing to do with the budget. And I think there was a lot of moderate Democrats, or at least not as far-left Democrats, who said, we're not going to end up winning this. And if this means that the president gets a a modest victory because you keep the government open for a couple weeks, so be it. But long-term, we're not going to win this. Plus, the reality is... We, we can't make the case to the American people why we're shutting down the government over this particular immigration issue, where, and it's very contested and it's very split. So they recognized it was a political loser. On top of that, they recognized that I think a lot of Democrats recognized that this just from a policy matter didn't make any sense. So for the various senators who decided, you know, yeah, we're going to vote to end the filibuster, we're going to vote for the continuing resolution, I think they did the right thing. And what disappointed me a little bit, and I understand that Chuck Schumer brought it on by giving his remarks where he blamed the president for the, the shutdown and things, and I, I think that was, again, a, a cheap shot. But the president could have been gracious and could have moved forward. And instead, what he did is he said, oh, this was a complete cave-in by the Democrats, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, it was a cave-in. But at the same time, I guess it was it was a cave-in in some respects. And that's clearly how the, the resistance movement sees it. But you could look at it not as a cave-in, but also as a matter of good public policy to try to come together in a bipartisan fashion and say, look, we're going to keep the government running while we argue about all those other things. And by this need to declare victory, and somebody wins and somebody loses, the problem is you make it more difficult to come to a consensus down the road. You know, what What happens 17 days from now when we're, we're running out of money again? And then is it, okay, Am I if I decide I'm going to fund a budget thing, I want to keep the government running because I don't want federal employees to get laid off, are you going to be portrayed as being weak when what you're really doing is just saying, look, I, I want to put the interests of the country ahead of a particular partisan issue. And I think there's a lot of partisanship there. I would have liked to have seen the president be more gracious in victory than he was. Just saying. All right. When we come back, well, we got a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. The controversy over snakes and pigs and ostriches on planes continues. Speaking of planes, how did this woman get on one and get a chance to fly to Great Britain? And I want to talk about the Oscars. Stick around. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. 207. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, Belinda, I'm learning about karma right away. Right at the 130, I, I teased you about not having the, the, the big story in your newscast about <laughs> yeah. how, how how Clements is apparently out as the sponsor of the racing sausage. Okay, this is karma because my email is now exploding. I mean, literally exploding with different people who are seriously wondering, well, well who is it? Who's going to be the new sponsor? Or speculating. This, this is now the... the well, I've got one here. Sausage shocker. Who do you think it's going to be? You know, this this is it. I'm trying to talk about other stuff, and people are now just completely fascinated by who's going to be the sponsor of the racing sausages. So, we're going to have to wait for another day for that, huh? We're gonna, well, okay. If I if I were, I have no 
I have I I am stunned here. I, I'm sitting here stunned that that you know that that they didn't renew the deal with Clements. You could go outside of the box and, like I say, make it the Lakefront Brewery or the you know or the um, you know the Northwestern Mutual Racing Sausages and stuff. But assuming you know you wanted to like stick within the the general sausage family. I mean, what do you got? You've got. You know, you singers or Johnsonville. My guess would be Johnsonville if I had to pick one. Okay, know, but, okay. But I, but I don't know. I, I have no inside knowledge there. None, none, none at all. But I'm sure they will be announcing it when the time is right. And you'll be the one to tell us. Well, abso- absolutely, because now I'm all over it. But it's, <laughs> you know, if people are saying you singers or Johnsonville or, or whatever. I, and actually, I mean, I'm still thinking like the Freighter Hospital, Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin, racing sausages. Just doesn't have the same panache. It doesn't. No, but <clears throat> and I'm not sure again that the. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love a good chorizo, but I'm not sure necessarily that you know the hospital, the health companies want to be associated with with the sausages and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's it. But okay, so it is karma. I'm hearing a lot about. It. I was teasing Blinda. Now I'm getting this back. All right. Uh, I, I woke up early today because I was supposed to be somewhere early and uh, knew that I was going to have to deal with like issues on the road. So I, I, I wake up early. I turn on the TV. And there's all this speculation. Uh, big day. The Oscar announcements are coming out. And today is the day that they're announcing the best pictures and all of these different types of things. Let's see. The um, Oscars for best picture. Here's the full list of nominees. Call Me By Your Name. Darkest Hour. I saw that. Dunkirk. Get Out. Lady Bird. Phantom Thread. That's the... Um, that's uh, the, that's just out. The Post. Haven't seen that yet. That's kind of the revisionist thing. That's kind of the, the in some ways, the predecessor, the successor to All the President's Men. The Shape of Water and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, Three board, Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I've seen The Darkest Hour. That's... Uh, about Winston Churchill right after he takes over as prime minister just before World War II. Um, other than that, haven't seen any of the others. The Post and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, I kind of want to see. Um, the other ones, I don't know. But I, I, I don't know if it's a sign of, of just age or whether the, the movies just aren't as good as they used to be, or maybe there's too many of them, or maybe some of them are just, just so obscure. But but in general, I, I, I'm reading this, and I'm looking through the different people that are nominated, and it seems to be happening more and more, year after year. I, I, I just I don't get, among average people, I don't get an Oscar buzz. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When I was a kid, it used to be the Oscars were this big thing. Who's going to win the best picture? And in many cases, you know, people would go out and, and they would see all the various movies. My guess is, you know, most people haven't seen more than two of the movies on this list, if, if that. And again, um, I'm going to see, I've seen The Darkest Hour. I'll probably see The Post and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Other than those, I, I don't know that there's any of these that I really feel this overriding desire to see. Lots of them are smaller movies. Lots of them are these just art movies. But in general, and I feel this way every year, I'm kind of underwhelmed by some of these movies that end up getting nominated. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, are you less charged up 
about you know watching the Oscars and who Hollywood wants to recognize than you were in the past? And if so, is it because of the content of the movies? Is it because there's more competition out there? We're watching TV and things like that. Or is it just because who cares what people in Hollywood think about you know who deserves which the best what is the best picture four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that's the accident mortgage talk and text line are you as excited about the Oscars as well the national media appears to be my answer would be heck no but how do you feel we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on twelve thirteen Jeff Wagner WTMJ it's two fifteen Jeff Wagner WTMJ okay the Oscars much fanfare the movies that were nominated were announced. I've seen one of the movies. I, I might see another two. Candidly, a couple of them on the list. Um, even if I've heard of them, I have no interest at all in seeing them. It, there, there's, there's not on Lawrence of Arabia. There's not a Casablanca on this particular list. And I don't think that just makes me sound old. I think what's happening is you have, I don't know, the Oscars are kind of shrinking. And I think that's one of the things that's going on. I also think, in general, the Hollywood community is getting more and more insular. And a lot of us just don't care what they think. Lisa in West Dallas. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you? Very well, thank you. Okay. Did you used to? Were you? Did you used to be a big fan of the Oscars? I used to, and I rarely watch it anymore because to me it brings so much politics in, and I'm sick of hearing about politics during the week. I, I used to watch the Oscars when they were entertaining, and there was some comedian value, and right. now it's just like everyone's talking about the president and Russia and everything else. It's like, ugh, I, I do it to get away. I don't want to watch it to hear it again. Well, yes, and yeah. I'm with you with the blockbusters. I don't see any. We saw Dunkirk. I was disappointed, and I'm interested to hear what you think of the one you saw. The Darkest Hour that was very good. good. I very okay, that one I want to see. Yeah, and um, and Gary Oldham, who plays Winston Churchill, does an an absolutely tremendous job. Yeah, I I, I would I would recommend that. That's one of the best movies yeah. I've seen in a while. Yeah. If, if, the others I don't have interest in. Like you say, I don't see any blockbusters on the list that. You no. Know, wait till they're on Redbox for two dollars, and then I might rent it. <laughs> right, and then and then see if you can sit through all two hours of the film. No, thanks. Right, see, right. Yeah, that's. I mean, thanks for. I mean, and it seems like it's this year after year that you know the 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 movies that are are popular, the the ones that the superhero movies, for example, the stuff that everybody goes to. Well, they they end up getting snubbed. Now, I I do I do kind of want to see the the three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. That's got Frances McDormand, who was the. Um, you know, she was in Fargo. That she won an Oscar for Fargo. She's in it. And I, I understand that that's that's a a very good movie. But you know, you've got a horror movie that's on the list, and I mean, I I don't know the the post. Well, that's probably got a chance to do well because again, that's this. It's about the Pentagon Papers and the Washington Post and Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, and it's kind of one of these sort of liberal fantasies when the news media stood up and they they fought the government and all that type of stuff. But in general, yeah. Dennis in Kenosha. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I think I have it figured out. Um, and I reviewed the list earlier today. This is a great topic because I was disappointed, and I go, what are these movies? Yeah. Uh, but I think what's going on here, if you look at the mainstream actors, a lot of them have moved to series, whether it's on, like, Netflix or Hula or Amazon. Uh, take a look at like Matt McConaughey and True Detectives, that series, right. or Kevin Spacey and House of Cards. I mean, these are mainstream, big-time actors that have left the motion picture business to go into the series business or you know network type 
Oh no, you're, you're, you're Dennis. No, you're you're exactly right. The the a lot of the really talented directors and writers and showrunners and things like that have left the movies and and they're they're doing the the cable stuff. They're you're right. They're into television because. It, it, first of all, it, it's a lot of high-quality stuff that's going on now. You've got the freedom of being away from broadcast TV, so you can have nudity, you can have violence, you can have the bad language, you can tell your stories, and you you can tell them in a you know limited fear, series of time. It's not like you have to commit. If you're doing a TV show now, it's not like you have to commit to 30 episodes. You do 10, and you're done for the season. But you're right. TV is where it's at right now. Absolutely, and these are big time actors that we would normally see on the big stream, or you know, uh, sure. big screen, like Matthew McConaughey and Trudy Texas right. and, and Vaughn. Those are not B actors, right? Well, they're big time. They made the decision to go into the network or the series because it's either more lucrative or it's more in demand. No, it, uh, exactly. Or yeah. you get a chance to work with like really talented people. No, thanks to call. I mean. True Detective, and I wasn't a huge fan of that, but like the first year, right, Matthew McConaughey and, and Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson is nominated for, um, the, uh, that three billboards, um, movie. You know, but I mean, you had Woody Harrelson, he played the guy, he was in Cheers, he was the bartender in, Woody in, in Cheers. Um, and it's done a lot of other stuff, but you have a lot of these actors that are attracted to it. There's not this stigma to, to do in TV nowadays, and a lot of the movies end up being, I don't know, kind of small. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I will be seeing or have seen about half the movies, but I am really sick of the preaching, and I'm not a Jimmy Kimmel fan. Right. So the Oscars that night are going to be taking a back seat to shows like Homeland or, and The Walking Dead, but I probably will check into it. Yeah, well, what I do with the Oscars is I kind of, nowadays i kind of check in i I watch in the very beginning i kind of watch the monologue and stuff like that and then and then i end up tuning out hey thanks to call appreciate it eric bilstadt breaking news yes clement sausage is out as the sponsor of the clement sausage race at miller park the journal sentinel with that story today clement sausage no longer the sponsor for the race that takes place at miller park each and every home game Okay, we, we've been talking about that for an hour. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, um, it's 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, as, as a follow-up to something we, we talked about yesterday, there's a, now a public hearing today about this, this harebrained plan to essentially charge for parking in various Milwaukee County parks. Now, this came out originally when when Chris Abley, in his effort to try to raise money, decided he wanted to put, like, parking meters down at the lakefront. Well, that, that idea didn't really go anywhere, but then it got expanded. Abley started thinking, well, if we put parking meters down at the lakefront, I have an idea. Let's put parking meters in various or, – or charge for parking, however you're going to do it. Let's charge for parking at various other places around Milwaukee County. For example – the Esterbrook Park Beer Garden, which has been a success story. I've talked about this before. You know, Esterbrook Park used to be decrepit, run down, and unattended by anybody in general that you'd want to hang out with. It, it really was. 
they put that beer garden in there, and Estabrook Park has become, in my opinion, one of the jewels of the county park system. People flock to it in the summer, and it generates a ton of revenue for the county. So what's the idea? Let's put in parking meters and let's charge two fifty or three bucks an hour. They're, they won't say how much they want to charge, so people can go and sit in the beer garden. Well, all right, you want to talk about killing the golden goose? Because the reality is, if you charge people to park and they say hey, we might spend an hour and a half or two hours in the park, but you mean it's going to cost us, you know, five or ten dollars to park? Well, that's nuts. You know, we'll go down the road, we'll go over to the Bavarian Beer Garden, for example, and we'll sit outside and we'll have a good time too, and and we'll park in that big parking lot they have for free. This will kill those things. I have played golf in golf courses all over the country. You're going to put parking meters in at Brown Deer Park, for example. So if I want to have a four or five hour round of golf, you're going to charge me $20 to park? Give me a break. It is a incredibly dumb with a capital D I idea. And, and there's members of the county board that are completely behind it. Let me tell you, though, the most insidious part of this. The county wants to generate $1.6 million in revenue, right? The county isn't going to be running the parking. The county is going to be hiring a private contractor to run the parking. And the private contractor will then kick back a percentage to the county. That That's how it's going to work. The estimates are that private contractor is probably going to be kicking back 10% to the county. So what that would mean is the private contractor has to generate $16 million in revenue in order to kick back $1.6 million. So those of us who pay to use the parks, what we're really doing is we're not really contributing to the park system in general. What we are doing is making some parking lot operator rich. The vast majority of the money would go to the parking lot operator. It wouldn't go to the parks. And this idea that Hey, as a taxpayer in Milwaukee County, if you want to use something that has been free that you already support with your public tax dollars, that what you have to do is you have to send 90 cents or let's say it's 75 cents. Let's say they're going to kick back 25 cents per dollar, that 75 percent of that is going to go to make some parking lot operator wealthy and only, you know, a fraction of that is going to be actually used for the parks. Now, at least if the at least if the county was going to operate the parking concessions or whatever, you could see the money going you know, directly in there after they take out costs, but that's not how they're doing it. Bottom line of this is this is a stunningly, stunningly bad idea. It is also incredibly regressive. Regressive means it impacts poor people more than it impacts wealthier people. So the idea being, hey, you have... Um, you, you've, let's say, you know, you, you are in a lower economic strata. One of the things that you look forward to, you can't, you can't afford the membership, say, at the country clubs that have the swimming pools or whatever. So what you look forward to doing is saying, hey, I, I really like going down to the beach. And so I'm going to pile my kids into the car and we're going to go to the beach and we're going to hang out there all day and we'll bring a cooler with sandwiches and we'll bring, you know, some soda or whatever. Well, okay, 
instead of being able to do that for free, you are now going to be charged for the privilege of, again, you know, parking your car that you use to drive your kids down to the, to the beach at. And what are they going to charge? $3, $4, $5? I'll tell you what else is going on. You know, once you, once you hire these private operators, you want to, well, there's a song that the late great Steve Goodman had called the Lincoln Park Pirates. Once you hire one of these operators, you're going to see tow trucks. You are going to see aggressive parking enforcement that would make even the parking checkers with the Department of Public Works in Milwaukee blush. And you're going to see, because again, it's in their interest to generate as much revenue as possible. This is a shameful, shameful idea that I think has the potential, I don't want to overstate it, of destroying the public parks. I I don't know. But it certainly is going to take a lot of the stuff that's working well in the parks right now and a lot of the things that the park system has been doing to actually attract people. And what it's going to do is it's going to essentially either price them out or force them out. And this is one of these ideas that the Milwaukee County Board needs to stand up quickly. And I understand there's some people who've never seen a tax that they don't want to support. This is an idea that should not get off the drawing board. And I hope, 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 hope the county board wakes up to this. The only people that will come out ahead is whoever ends up getting the parking contract And why we want to make some other developer in that regard rich is absolutely beyond me. 234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. have a note from uh, one of our listeners, Dick, who says, as an elected official in Glendale, it would be potentially interesting that if the county does implement paid parking in county parks, particularly in Estabrook Park, this might cause fewer people to use the beer garden. Now, let me just stop there. That That's definitely what is going to happen. You have these different beer gardens, for example, that are success stories. They are attracting people to the parks. They are great places to spend, you know, a, a nice weekend afternoon or, um, you know, nice summer evenings. It, it's a success story. So, you know, the, the suggestion that this would, might cause fewer people to use the beer garden, of course it's going to cause fewer people to use the beer garden. I can tell you, if I had to go and sit and feed the meter and worry, gee, um, how, how much money have I put in there, especially when you know that there's going to be nasty fees that are going to be charged if you stay over at the meters because that's what the private companies do. So you're, you're just going to go to someplace else that has a table that you can sit outside at. And even, it continues, he says, it might cause fewer people to use the beer garden, particularly Esterbrook Park, which could enable more people to become aware of the new beer garden in Glendale's Richard E. Maslowski Park, which we will not charge for parking. There's a great playground for the kids, a veterans memorial, and our amphitheater. Yeah, there, there is now going to be competition. It's not just going to be from the public facilities, but it's also going to be for private facilities around who have actually complained in the past that the beer gardens offer unfair competition now, I don't buy into that, by the way, but, you know, you just, these county supervisors and this the county executive, he doesn't care. You know, he can park anywhere he wants and pays for it, but he doesn't understand that these things and these resources are, in fact, you know, sensitive to costs. And I understand that if somebody's going down to Summerfest, for example, all right, you're, you're going to be willing to pay to park because you're going to be at the event for hours and hours, and it only rolls around once a year. But for you know people who use the parks on a daily basis or on a few times a week basis, to expect them to shell out $2 an hour or $5 an hour or whatever the number turns out to be, just a complete and total non-starter. 
All right. Last week, we had a, a very interesting discussion, and I continue to get swamped from e- by emails from people who, well, don't necessarily agree with my position. Now, it's interesting because since we talked about it, the story is getting a lot more attention. And I call the segment Snakes on a Plane. The Americans with Disabilities Act creates an exception for service animals. And the Americans with Disabilities Act defines a service animal as being a trained dog or a, a miniature horse, interestingly enough. But these are animals that are vigorously trained think seeing eye dogs okay that that's perhaps the best example these are you know dogs that are specifically trained to help people with disabilities and they get a certification in many cases the animal goes through months of training before it's issued to someone and if you have a, a, a need for a service dog you're entitled to you, you, you're entitled to take the dog, you know, into restaurants, places where dogs otherwise wouldn't be allowed. You can't be denied accommodations because of that. But it's for this very, very defined um, category, right? That's the Americans with Disability Act. There's also this thing called the Air Carrier Access Act of 1986, which is much more small l liberal when it comes to defining animals. The Air Carrier Access Act allows free travel, and this is the operative word, free, free, let me say it again, free travel for any animal that is, quote, trained to assist a person with a disability or that provides emotional support. My snake makes me feel happy. I want to, I'm flying from Milwaukee to Atlanta. I get nervous flying. I want to take my snake with me. And I want to take my snake for free. My pot-bellied pig makes me happy. I get nervous when I fly. I want to take my pot-bellied pig with me. And so I I, I need this. And, And you get that. You get weird types of animals or Again, the reptiles like the, the snakes. You've had examples of people bringing ducks on, large pigs, ostriches, you know, you name it, sort of any sort of animal that they want. Many of the animals aren't housebroken, so you have issues. And you also have situations where people, you know, will, will bring the dogs onto the plane. I'm looking at this story in the Washington Post, and it talks about, well, here's, when Marlon Jackson arrived at his row on a Delta flight from Atlanta to San Diego in June, the middle seat was occupied by a man with a sizable dog on his lap. Jackson squeezed by them to his window seat, and the Labrador mix lunged at his face. The attack lasted 30 seconds, according to Jackson's attorney, and left him with facial wounds that required 28 stitches and scars that are still um, visible today. The mauling, according to Delta, was inflicted by a canine identified as an emotional support animal. And this was among the thousands of incidents that pushed, as we talked about last week, Delta to tighten the rules for passengers flying with service or comfort animals. So now Delta is saying, look, before we're going to do this, 
we want to have, you know, if, if it's an emotional support animal, you know, you're going to have to produce a letter from a physician or a mental health professional. Um, the problem, of course, is those type of documents are easily forged. Or what's going on now is you have a lot of these doctor feel goods. Uh, you've got a doctor quote-unquote doctor, in Phoenix, Arizona, and you can send them 125 bucks, and what they'll do over the Internet without ever having met you they'll send or your pet, you know, they'll send you a notice back saying, hey, your pet gets to fly for free. Here's the bottom line of this. There is a small percentage of people who use these animals because they really need them. I think there's a much larger percentage of people who recognize that this is a scam and they can get their dog to fly free instead of putting the dog and paying for the dog to travel in the hold or buying a seat for the dog we're going to use this and we're going to fly for free and passengers are starting to revolt on this 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line now let me give you this perspective this comes from a dog lover okay if you're a regular listener to this program you know how attached i am to my little dog i have not taken her on a plane as of yet when i do i'm going to buy a seat for her there's just no question about it she's going to fly between my wife and i you know we're going to buy a seat i'm going to pay that money for the dog to fly with us but even though this dog gives me all sorts of emotional support and comfort i don't expect the dog should be able to fly for free and I also understand that there's a difference between, and I'm sorry if you are a snake lover or something like this, there's a difference between a domesticated house pet like a dog or a cat and a snake or a duck or a barnyard animal. 414-799-1620. It is way past time. Number one, for the airlines to crack down on this, and number two, for the law to change, because I think it is being abused. And I think that this step, quite candidly, I think that, you know, what should happen is if you have an animal that is specifically trained to help somebody with a disability, that's fine. But this idea that an emotional support animal should get to fly free, I think is a bunch of hooey. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Peggy in Milwaukee. Peggy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should I be able to fly free with my snake? I I would say no. I, I don't see a comfort with a snake um, or put it in a crate under your seat. But as far as dogs go, I mean, you even as big of an animal lover as I am, I do not see the point of taking the dog on a plane because there's people that are allergic to pets. I, I tried to take a, a, a item of clothing back to Cole's department store because it, it didn't fit right. And because I have dogs, they saw a piece of dog hair on it, and they would not take it back because they say our, some of our customers are allergic to mm-hmm. dogs. Well, I can't resell that item, they told me, because someone would never buy it because of a piece of dog hair on it. Right. So now you've got a dog on a plane, and you don't know who's allergic to it, who's going to go into anaphylactic shock over it, I have to say no. Okay. Well, see, that, that, I mean, look, I, 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 have to, I have to balance this out because I guess the question becomes how far do you carry that? Um, what if you have somebody who's, like, particularly sensitive to scents or certain types of perfume or whatever? Do you say that, okay, you, you can't, you know, you, you can't, we're not going to let you on the plane, you can't fly if you've used you know, Irish Spring soap or something because somebody might be allergic to that. So, I mean, I think you do have to have a, a balancing. And I'm not prepared to say that I don't think 
animals should be allowed in the cabin per se. But I don't think the airline has an obligation to allow them to fly free. Um, in general, the rule is, you know, they have to be small enough to fit under the seat, those types of situations, or else they have to go in the cargo hold, or else you have to make other arrangements to get the animal where it needs to be. But the bigger point of all this is there's just a lot of people out there, at least in my opinion, that are, are scamming the system. And, look, you, you've got a, a giant pig that is not housebroken. It is a barnyard animal. Who wants that on an airplane, for goodness sakes? I mean, that you just – and this idea that I have a right to do this, I should be able to do it, come on. Um, I think Delta is absolutely right in what it's doing. More importantly, though, you know, all the airlines are kind of in a, a little bit of a fix because you've got this air carrier access law and you've got all these people claiming it's an emotional support animal. Well, any animal, I would argue, is an emotional support animal. Who doesn't like coming home at night and having your pet come up and jump up and down? And, oh, this is great. I mean, it makes you feel good. That's the reason why lots of us have animals, because they warm our hearts, you know? But that doesn't mean that I expect to be able to take my dog for free on a flight. And, of course, it's not just limited to dogs. I don't think, you know, I don't want to have those snakes on a plane. Wasn't there a movie like that? I think so. It's 246. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. James and Elkhorn sends me a text. I'm looking forward to my next flight when I take my comfort bees with me. Don't worry, though. They usually stay in the hive. (laughs) I mean, I'm just waiting to get on that flight, and the guy's got the the comfort snake or something like that. Kathy in Glendale sends me an email. Um, Snakes on a plane or anywhere. Jeff, welcome to my current world in property management. And the kicker is... We cannot say no, even to a restricted breed. Not that I would dare violate the, you know, um, the Fair Housing Act or the ADA, but this is becoming such an issue that is being manipulated by so many people. Service animals are one thing. These emotional support animals, which are, as general, not pets, let's be clear, are different. I cannot say no, but you can bet I, bet I will verify my tenants are presenting me a valid form by a local MD. At least I know a service animal has been trained to perform a function. An emotional support animal is not trained to do anything. Um, apparently, there are some bills about to be passed, modified, which will divide these into two categories. Right, and, and that's, look, that's, that's, that's the case, because I would argue that any pet is an emotional support animal. I, I mean, and, and by that definition, anyone should be able to fly for free. And like I say, unfortunately, you've got all these doctor feel-goods that are out there that without meeting you, without meeting your pet, you send them a couple bucks, you know, over the Internet, and you'll get whatever letter saying whatever it is that you want. And that's not what this law was ever, I think, intended to do. Hey, let's switch gears for a minute. There was a case that was argued in the U.S. Supreme Court um, a week or two ago, which is generating a lot of controversy and raises an interesting question. The, the law, federal law says you can't remove, you can't toss somebody out off of the voter rolls simply because they didn't vote. Okay, you know, I mean, which again I make makes sense. You know, you you know you don't have to vote, so you can't be tossed off the rolls because you didn't. So you got that one law, but there's another law which says that states are required to keep accurate roles. So, I mean, how do you have this deal? 
how can you tell if people have moved or if people ha- have died? How do you purge your roles, the, the, the voter roles? You know, how do you end up doing that? So here's what they do in, in Ohio. And they're, they're very aggressive, but this is what they've been doing in Ohio for, for decades. What they do is if you skip a single federal election cycle. So if you don't vote in either the primary or the, the federal election in November for one cycle, you take 2016 off. You aren't removed from the rolls, but what they do is they send you a, a postcard because what they what they want to say is, okay, did you just not vote or have you moved? Have you died? What's going on? So that they send a notice out to your residence, to your registrate where you're registered, and they say, hey, um, you know, uh, we want you to confirm that you, you know, still live there. You don't have to vote, but we're going to send this out because we want to make sure you still live there. Then what happens is if you fail to vote in the next two federal elections, so you're talking about you don't vote in 2016, they send you a notice saying, um, you know, are, are you still there? Would you confirm your registration? And then you don't vote in 2018, you get another postcard, is my understanding, and then you don't vote again in 2020. So you've essentially gone six years without voting. What they will do is they remove you, they purge you from from the rolls. Now you can always re-register, right? But if you just if you show up, if you haven't voted in 2016, and then you don't vote in 2018. And then you don't vote in 2020. By the time you show up in 2022, you know, you're going to be removed from the rolls. Now you can re-register. So nobody's saying you can't vote, but you know, if a state doesn't have same day registration, you might have to take advantage. You might have to do something earlier. So the Democrats are challenging this. And the case was argued in the U.S. Supreme Court saying, Oh, this is another one of these schemes to try to, you know, get rid of minority voters. It's interesting because most of the judges, justices on the Supreme Court didn't appear to be buying this because the idea is I understand we want to make it easy for people to vote but at the same time we want to stop dead people from voting and the way you do that or at least the easiest way to do that is making sure that the voter rolls the people that are on there and are eligible to vote are still really eligible to vote and people move all the time that's just the reality people unfortunately die all the time and that's kind of the reality and i think quite candidly i mean these states have to come up with a way to purge the rolls and whether it's over a six-year period or an eight-year period at some point in time if you don't vote and then they send out postcards and you don't respond to those postcards, I think the state is doing absolutely the right thing by taking you off the voter list. And if you want to get back on it, you re-register. It's that simple. I don't think it's a violation of the Constitution. You can go broke predicting Supreme Court results, but I think Ohio is going to be just fine. It's 2.55. When we come back, we'll find out what John, Melissa, and Greg all have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.